I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello there, and welcome to the World Cricket Show, trundling on remorselessly for yet another episode, in spite of astonishing popular demand. My name is Adam Bayfield, and I'll be your host tonight. And with me in the studio, look who's come crawling back. It's Tony Kerr. Yeah, I can hear the listeners breathing a heavy sigh of relief and kind of just this hushed excitement. Like, kind of here in the distance. I think it might be the printer warming up. <laughs> he's back, he's back. Couldn't hack it, mate. Tony's back. Couldn't hack it, you know, in the cutthroat world of stand-up comedy. <laughs> it just didn't quite come off for me. You thought you could live without us, uh, but you came crawling back. But like Kevin Peterson, I'll go on to do even better things now. Probably once you've reintegrated. Exactly, the reintegration process begins now. How, you got on all right though without me. You, you still managed to turn out, you know, turn something out anyway. Tell you what, recording a podcast on your own—it's <laughs> hard. I didn't envy that. But hey, we're back. With the, the duo's been reunited uh, for tonight's episode. How's it going this week, Tone? Uh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, very good. Although I'm kind of achieving new feats in the uh, you know in the field of human tiredness <laughs> tonight. Unprecedented amounts of tiredness. Well, that's good to know. That's a really so, exciting just, yeah, way to kick off the show. Just, just thinking, how tired is he going to be by the end if he's exactly, if he's yeah. this tired already? It's very exciting. Will he make it through the you know Adam's review recap of the two test matches? Probably not. <laughs> is the answer. Are you like me, basking in the warm glow of England's? success in Mumbai this week it's making me tired though. it's making me sleepy the warmth <laughs> I'm kind of running on the fumes of that of that test victory there's going to be a heavy dose of triumphalism today <laughs> <isn't> <laughs> that, that, England are back you know there's every reason to smile tonight I got up at 4am uh, once again to uh, to watch the victory charge uh, a much more enjoyable Monday morning than the previous week when England lost but again though yeah it's just kind of ruined me uh, in terms of tiredness for the next few days people at work think i'm an absolute lunatic because i come in and they're like you look a bit tired i'm like yeah i've been up since four and like why and I'm like, i was just watching the cricket and they're like all right like, no one really <laughs> understands really understand, so i come to the podcast just to find some people that understand cricket insomniacs anonymous picture this if you will it's 4 a.m on a monday morning it's dark it's cold i'm sort of huddled on the sofa under a blanket muttering <laughs> balmy army chants to myself I'm just there going like Alistair Cook's balmy army Alistair Cook's balmy army and then at one point as, as Compton and Cook were, were easing towards the target I started singing to myself E-I-E-I-E-I-O <laughs> Off the cooker to we will go What? I'm so glad I didn't choose to watch it with you <laughs> <laughs> A problem that I keep having uh, and one that I'm not really learning from 
is several times during this test match. I'm, I thought, I'm not going to get up at four o'clock. That is too early. But I'll tell you what, I'll set my alarm at six, which is probably about an hour before I'd normally wake up. I'll set my alarm at six and just stare and watch like an hour and a half before I go out to work. Several times I've done that. And I always come down, get my cereal, turn on the TV. And they're like, right, that's lunch. 40 <laughs> yeah. minutes then before the action starts again. I could have just been sleeping. Very frustrating. Yeah, you should have planned better than that. Well, yeah, well, we're going to be talking about that England test match victory. Uh, a lot on today's show, I would imagine. Uh, we'll also be discussing the thrilling draw in Adelaide between Australia and South Africa. So there's an, a hell of a lot for us to be talking about today. And we'll get on to all of that in just a moment. But yeah, as we, we mentioned at the top of the show, you've been away. Tony, you were away last week. You are away for a couple of weeks. Did you have a good time away? Absolutely fantastic, yeah. What did you get up to? <laughs> any antics? Any, any antics? Uh, yeah, a few antics. Uh, like, you know, I wasn't really doing stand-up comedy. I was actually doing some work training, exciting enough. But it was it was a brilliant week. Thanks, Adam, for asking. <laughs> that's all that's quite went all right. To, uh, did a little tour, went to London first uh, First off. Uh, yeah, and then countless other things. I bumped into you in Southampton Airport on Sunday night on the way back unexpectedly. You, yeah, kind of, you kind of popped up out of nowhere. Well, I've been away for the weekend as well. I didn't just come over to Southampton Airport to like, <laughs> just to, like welcome you back. Um, no, I went up to uh, went up to Edinburgh of all places in Scotland. Just up there seeing some family. Had a great time. Had haggis. Had shortbread. Had um, what else can we reduce Scotland to? <laughs> Deep fried Mars bars, had loads of those. Did you debate independence with anyone? Had Con- it out in the street with constantly. Some, some Scots. Um, so yeah, so but you, to get to um, Edinburgh from Guernsey, you have to connect through Southampton. So then on the way back on Sunday, bumped into Tony in the departure line. Yeah, I was sitting there, you know, minding my own business, trying to get on with my life, trying to get home. Uh, and you popped up out of nowhere and I was really excited to see you. And you said to me, oh, I saw you earlier. <laughs> Didn't say hi, did you, though? You just let, you know, just let me get on with it. Well, I was hoping that I wouldn't have to deal with you. And I, I sort of thought, like, oh, well, maybe, you know, he'll be sitting somewhere else on the plane and I can just pretend that I've not seen him and I won't even have to mention it. Did you know I was going to be there? No, I didn't know you were going to be there. I didn't know you were going to be there. Well, I know, it was very exciting. One of the moment. things, like, with living in Guernsey is that, obviously, everyone has to fly all the time back and forth to do anything, really. Guaranteed, you will know maybe up to 10 people on, a, on an average flight. Uh, and you're always praying. There's always people who are like, I really hope I don't bump into them in the, in the departure lounge. Uh, and you're one of those people. <laughs> so. Well, no, I wasn't trying to ignore you in the airport. I was I was yeah. in a long queue in WH Smith and I saw you walk past the door. <laughs> I thought, I see Tony enough that I don't have to leave my place in the queue because I've been queuing for upwards of a minute and a half. And I, I think you were clutching the Sunday Telegraph, were you, or the Sunday Times? Well, yeah, you get a free... I mean, this is... totally unnecessary detail but you get a free Sunday Telegraph when you you buy a bottle of Buxton water in airport WH Smith I was like you know it's a 30 minute flight why has he bought the Sunday papers he's like he can't possibly hope to get to all that in one go also nightmare windy outside you know there's a lot of supplements there that can go I didn't read any of it but it's that thing where they're like you know you get a free paper no I know it's the other way around you get you get you get free water when you buy the Sunday Telegraph. So I came up there with the water and they're like, you know that you get this free if you buy the Sunday Telegraph. I was like, oh yeah, like you can't afford not to then. But actually the Sunday Telegraph <laughs> is more expensive. So I ended up paying more and not reading any of the Sunday Telegraph. And yeah, it was just a, a bit of a faff. Yeah, I was, on, I was flying back with a friend. Uh, I've got other friends, Adam. Yeah. Just for the record. I know you constantly remind me of that <laughs> all the time. That's like the first thing that you said. I was like, do you have a good week away? You're like, yeah, I made some new friends. <laughs> so like, oh, brilliant. Go on, go and talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, go, anyway, so I know. Was... Go and do a podcast with them. 
Yeah. No, I'm happy to do it with you. If you want. <laughs> For now, yeah, until something better comes along. <laughs> yeah, when, uh, yeah, it was fine with a friend of mine. And, like, we checked in separately. We were together, but we checked in separately. And I was like, oh, you know, I like checking separately, I said to him, because Guernsey to anywhere in the UK is about a 45-minute flight. And uh, often, if you check in alone, you might get sat next to someone nice, to a nice girl or something to talk to. And, uh, you know, it's happened a couple of times, so I just think keep rolling the dice on that one. Day uh, game. Day game, exactly. And I said, uh, I said oh, we'll check in separately, you know. This has happened to me a few times. Uh, and he's like, oh, it never happens. It never happens. I was like, well, just, you know, we'll see. We went, we went on the plane and we saw her in the same row. And it's two in either, two each side of the aisle. And we were, we were sat in each side of the aisle, uh, him in the window on one side and me in the aisle in the other seat. And I said, like, oh, you know, this is perfect. It'd be really fun if uh, a couple of nice girls came, sat next to us. Waited there a little bit for the other passengers to get on, and two girls came up and uh, were like, just said to me, Do you mind sitting on that side with him uh, so that we can sit together here? And I was like, Absolutely no problem. Yeah, just got straight up and switched seats. Just bottled it. Bottled it. Were you there just reading the in flight magazine for the rest of the flight? Depressed. Depressed. No, I did that thing where, because uh, I was like an art, this is really boring probably for people, but I was I'm like an R seat, Adam, so I can rest my rest my elbow on the on the armrest put my head on my hand and go to sleep but what <laughs> but doesn't your head loll over into the aisle <laughs> exactly. so when the trolleys come exactly past... this is what i'm saying it's really annoying so there's constantly getting woken up by people like saying like can you just move, move your head <laughs> <laughs> but it's the only way i can get comfortable can you move your enormous head which is blocking the drinks trolley <laughs> i've been caught in the back before as well back of the head gone down like a sack of potatoes <laughs> that's that's so inconsiderate it's just like yeah when i get on a plane i like to just sort of, <laughs> like, just stretch my legs out across all the other people in the row there's any way i can get comfortable england what we do on this part of the show is we talk about england now england have roared back into their test series against india bouncing back from defeat in Ahmedabad with a sensational victory in mumbai the home side won a crucial toss but got off to a very difficult start. They were 169 for six at one point, with Monty Panazar taking five wickets. But a very good partnership between Ravi Ashwin, who made 68, and Chiteshwar Pajara, who registered his second big score of the series, which was 135, got them up to 327, which looked like a very decent total on an extremely difficult wicket to bat on. But England did brilliantly. A, a fantastic partnership between Alistair Cook, who made 122, and Kevin Peterson, with a breathtaking 186, saw them go past India's total. And although they collapsed in a heap a little bit at the end to be 413 all out, that was a lead of 86, and it turned out to be decisive. India was skittled for 142 second time around, with Panazar taking 6 for 81 and Graham Swan 4 for 43, which gave England a target of 58, and they got there without losing a wicket to wrap up a very big victory. So as I say, lots of wickets for Panazar in the match. In fact, after Gautam Gambier fell to James Anderson off the second ball of the game, uh, the remaining 19 Indian wickets were claimed by England spinners. It's the same old story, Tane, isn't it, really? India just can't play spin. They just cannot play spin. This is exactly what we were saying. We've been saying it for weeks, haven't we? Everyone's been saying it. I think Athers summed it up, summed it up nicely on the highlights show when he said, stunning victory, Charles. I think that kind of I might get that on a t-shirt because that really seemed to be uh, an appropriate. It was a stunning summer. victory, Charles. I mean, can can you remember a more satisfying England victory than this as an England supporter? Maybe not. I I, I did get uh, we we joke we've joked about it before, and it happens in every test after every test match. This one more so than ever, though. I mean, it was okay. It was an exceptional result. There's so many 
superlatives that have been leveled at this kind of performance. Greatest uh, performance by England on a tour. Peterson's the greatest English, greatest innings played by an English batsman. Uh, Peterson, the best batsman England's ever had. Panazar and Swan have been called the best spin partnership in English cricket history. You know, so pick those apart. <laughs> well, some of them, you know, Panazar and Swan, uh, I think almost by default, they're the best like since the... 50s since the 60s because England have hardly had any spin partnerships since then but yeah it's certainly true that it's it's a very easy thing after such an amazing performance as this to just sit there and go well that's the best win England ever have ever produced that's the best innings by an England batsman but I have to say that uh, just just purely from the point of view of a supporter it did feel extremely satisfying given everything that had happened before the very difficult year that England have had what happened in the UAE, then getting beaten so resoundingly in the first game in the way that a lot of people really just expected it to be 4-0 from that position. For England to have not only won, but to have run out winners by 10 wickets, produced some fantastic cricket, is a very special performance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you asked before, whether was it the most satisfying uh, that I've seen? Karachi always comes up. That was a pretty special victory in away from home. Or 2001. The last Ashes series in Australia, you know, where England just dominated, there were maybe two or three of those matches were maybe more unbelievable for me than this. Uh, this was fantastic, but maybe, maybe those couple of those would edge it in terms of sheer, like, you know, eye rubbing disbelief. The 2005 Ashes, the victories at Edgebaston and Trent Bridge. Oh, I'm talking about away, though. Yeah, okay. Well, away from home, then you've got Durban 2009, which is a similarly massive turnaround from. The first game when England had, you know, clung on for a draw there, there and everyone tour- expected another defeat. There was that tour to the West Indies, which kind of set up a really good run as well. In 2004. Yeah, when a couple of those tests, you'd say, well, I remember fondly. Harmison 7 for 12. So yeah, the best. It, it's not clear cut that this is uh, the most satisfying win ever. I mean, we're kind of getting in the weeds a little bit because <laughs> it's kind of irrelevant <laughs> really, isn't it? But yeah, I, just, I think just from the point of view of getting up at four in the morning and sitting on the sofa watching it, it, it did feel good to be an England fan. And it's probably the first time this year in Test cricket that that has been true because it is just such a difficult thing to come to India and win it and win even one test match only South Africa have won a test in India since 2006 you've got to give them almost depthless credit for that what turned out to be really important in the end was the way that they fought back in the second half of the game in Ahmedabad we've talked a lot in the past about momentum and how uh, sort of slightly absurd a concept it usually is but in this instance I think it, it really did matter because with the difficulties that England's batsmen have had against spin, just that partnership between Cook and Pryor in Ahmedabad, I think it broke the spell uh, and allowed players like Peterson to believe that they could score runs on these pitches and, uh, and led the rest of the team to think that they could actually win, that India really were there for the taking. Monty Panazar bowled beautifully. Uh, you could argue that he put the ball in the right areas. Uh, and he got his rewards. Rather makes a mockery of his non-selection for the first test, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it does look ludicrous now. Yeah, I mean, the very fact that him and Swan took 19 wickets is enough, isn't it? That's just enough evidence alone. You could probably write that in about 10 characters, that fact. But, uh, you know, it doesn't need, like, reams of evidence, does it, to suggest that that was the, uh, that was the wrong pick? Yeah, and I'm really pleased for him. You know, I've not always been a massive fan of him as a bowler. Uh, you know, sometimes in the past he's been a bit one-dimensional. Uh, but on pitches like this, he's a real handful. And as a person... I love him. Everyone loves Monty as a person. And it's, it's just great to watch him celebrate in the way that he celebrated when he, when he clean-bowled Sachin Tendulkar in, in the first innings. And for him to come in out of the cold under pressure because people expected him to 
to make a difference. Uh, to come in like that and take 11 wickets is a lion-hearted effort, regardless of how well-suited he was to the conditions. It's his first win in an England shirt since August 2008, and it's the first time that England have won with both him and Swan in the same team, which is a, a crazy statistic. I think it slightly belies the fact that they, they have often bowled very well together. In the Emirates this year, uh, they were both terrific, and in 2012, they've taken 50 wickets in matches that they've played as a partnership at an average of 22. So it's really, it's not been their fault that England haven't won with them in the team before. Panazar could still have a long future in the England team. He is only 30. He's going to have to continue to play second fiddle to Swan, but maybe this display will encourage the selectors to think about a twin spin option more often. Yeah, you'd, you'd think that, assuming it goes on and, uh, and has you know reasonably big effect in the next two tests, you'd think that next time England go to, to tour the subcontinent Panazar is going to be on the team sheet for the, for the first match in that series well unfortunately from his perspective England aren't due back in Asia until 2015 but it might be that in Australia or even at the Oval and things like that it, it might be that England think actually our best option is to go for the two spinners because they're they're both world class I mean they, they out bowled India's spinners to a dramatic degree in this game I mean Graham Swan as well he was overshadowed by Monty but he, in his own right, was superb. He took eight wickets in the game um, in fewer overs than Panazar and at a better average than Panazar. He, he had a fantastic game. So they were incredibly important. Obviously, Kevin Peterson was sensational. I mean, what a knock. Do you think it is the best 100 <laughs> by an England batsman? Is it? And it's certainly, certainly the best since the most recent one, I would say. Uh, it is difficult to count now. It would be impossible to tally up the number of times it's been said after an England player scored 100. Could you even put a figure on it? What, that that's the best 100 by an England batsman? This very conversation we're having now, I'm sure we've had it about a dozen times <laughs> in, the, in the lifetime of this podcast, which is only about three years. Uh, it's up there. It'd be on a list, wouldn't it? It'd be on a list of 20 or 30, for sure. I think it's probably his best 100. Um, I think, in the, I think the, yeah, the circumstances, what's kind of gone, gone on in the last six months, marry that to the actual innings itself, which was kind of astonishing in its pace and... Uh, and some of the shots, yeah, some of the shots he was playing. I think a lot of people have said it, and it's right. But there aren't many players who could have done what Peterson did. Maybe even only Peterson. I guess in terms of uh, you know the the context in which it's remembered, like on a list of great England hundreds, it probably depends what happens in the rest of this series. If England go on to lose three one, it won't be remembered as fondly as some of the innings that have led to series victories, and like Peterson at yeah. the Oval in two thousand and five. Um, was a fantastic innings, but it was so memorable and amazing because it won England the Ashes. So if England lose 3-1, it won't be remembered in the same way as if they go on to maybe nick another test and win this series 2-1 because it will be seen as, you know, series winning. What struck me me about it is the the contrast to three months ago when Peterson looked like he wasn't going to play, at least not play for, you know, many years, if not never again. And, uh, you know, we said... Well, he's really binned his rep- he's, he's kind of binned his reputation. He's binned his legacy. Yeah, he's not going to go on to to do anything else. So he's going to be remembered as someone immensely talented, but he squandered squandered that to a certain extent. Fast fast forward a couple of months, and now this inning's been played, and there are like England past England players literally fighting to come out and say that Peterson's now the best player that England's ever had. <laughs> yeah. uh, and suddenly, suddenly it's like, well, this guy's reputation cemented. You know, he's now equaled the top. Uh, the top hundred scorer uh, or top hundred scorers in England uh, in England history. He's probably not going to end up with more than Cook, as he and he said himself that he thinks Cook will go on and make set an unbeatable record for a number of hundreds. But certainly now, he's you'd think he's going to be 
second on the all-time list for for quite a while. Yeah, he and Cook both registered their 22nd test hundreds in this game, which puts them level with uh, Boycott, Cowdery and Hammond. If you were a betting man, who would you... Obviously, as you say, Cook's going to end up with the most at the end of their careers. But if you're a betting man, which you are, who would you bet on to, <laughs> to break the record first? Who to get the next to 100. get the next hundred? Cook would be odds on, wouldn't he, in that race? I think the player you'd have to put your money on, wouldn't you? Because he, yeah, he, he's he literally has done it. He has scored hundreds more often than Peterson by virtue of playing played five fewer Test matches now. So you're just looking at the raw maths. Yeah, but also you know you think Cook's at the moment in. Kind of ridiculous form again. He looks like getting 100 every time he goes out. Well, he he, he almost does. Yeah. I mean, this is now 400s in four tests as captain. We were a little bit worried about what the captaincy might do to his batting form. Obviously, it still remains to be seen what it does in the long term. Andrew Strauss had a phenomenal start to his captaincy career with the bat, and then we know what happened after that. But it's a great start. And as a captain, he's made a very good start. You know, talk about how satisfying it is for us as supporters this win I mean for Alice the Cook it must just be unbelievable because you know he's in his sort of second proper test match as captain his second test match as the permanent captain uh he's managed to pull off you know what people are talking about as possibly England's greatest ever win away from home and I thought it was a fantastic gesture at the end of the game as well when when the winning bollies were scored uh Compton ran and picked up a stump and Cook went and picked up four stumps uh, and he went off the pitch and he gave one to Peterson one to Panazar and one to Swan uh, and I just thought that was that was very classy. Didn't save us one. <laughs> well, disappointing. They'll probably all turn up on eBay. <laughs> there is still a lot of question marks hanging over the side. Fewer than there were three weeks ago. But you'd say that Cook's already pulled off a big uh, a big feat in just getting you know, the, the reintegration of Peterson, completing that process. Really, yeah. Peterson Peterson spoke quite well after the test. Yeah, didn't really say anything. Didn't stick his neck out, did he much? But. In the, uh, the the post-match presentation, did you see that? I can't believe... Firstly, I cannot believe how many people were on the podium. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> Ravi Shastri was reading out the names. He was like, this guy here, he's the, uh, he's the head of sales and marketing at Airtel. Got this guy here, he's the deputy head of sales and marketing at Airtel. We've got this guy here, he's the vice president of the Mumbai Cricket Association. We've got this guy here. He's also the vice president of the They just went on and on. But then Peterson uh, Peterson was asked for his reaction and he basically, it was like he was just blindly reaching into his brain for cliches. <laughs> it was just there like, great team effort. Uh, what a difference a week makes. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, take the rough with the smooth. Uh, like he just didn't say anything at all. Uh, well, we can talk all night long about, uh, about Peterson and Panazar and Cook and Swan, but, it, but I think you'd have to say that at the end of the day, uh, the real difference between the sides was Stuart Broad. What a game he had. Uh, none for 60 at five and over in the first innings, didn't bowl in the second innings, and contributed six runs with the bat. But more worrying than those bare statistics uh, was just how badly, and also how slowly he bowled. He was down at around 75 miles an hour at times, which is Paul Collingwood pace. People on Twitter were really getting stuck into Broad. But I've got to say that I felt a bit sorry for him because it's not his fault that he was picked and he shouldn't have been picked. He was ill in the days leading up to the test. He was injured before that and had a poor game in Ahmedabad. The selectors really should not have dropped him into that game. He's clearly not match fit and he's also out of form. You know, The kind thing to do at this point would be to have him euthanised, I think. Not in a literal sense, but in a, in a cricketing <laughs> selection. Just sense. rubbed out. I'm sure that if Finn is fit for Kolkata that he'll come in for broad. 
But I think even if Finn isn't fit, he needs to be left out at this point. They should probably have a little bit more faith in Graham Onions than it, it looks like they do at the moment. I understand why they're a little bit unsure about him in these conditions because you know the perception is that he relies heavily on conventional swing but he bowls wicket to wicket he definitely provide more control than broad and with swan and panazar as the wicket taking threats that's in some ways all that you're looking for the problem with broad was that he was kind of releasing pressure wasn't he so aside from broad england were in general magnificent Pretty good. Uh, I mean, there was still, you know, Trot, Bairstow didn't get any runs. Yeah, you could definitely say that um, it was really a case of four players winning the game for England. But then the, the fielding was much better as well. Um, and there were some important innings from other batsmen. Nick Compton uh, with a couple of good knocks. Samit Patel stuck around with Peterson for quite a while, didn't he? Often, I mean, often I think people people are too quick to point out uh, the fact that maybe one or two players, and it happens in, in a lot of team sports, that one or two players dominate. You know, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, Cook and Peterson got the runs this time. What happens when they don't get it? But, you know, the, the nature of, of sport is that some people are better than others. And the likes of Cook and Peterson as your best players, you know, they are going to more often than not get the bulk of the runs. You know, you can't expect Johnny Bairstow to score big hundreds every time he goes out. And he's just got to do a job, you know, often enough to justify his place. But yeah, in, in general, England, as I say, their fielding was really good. And so and it was it was a magnificent team performance. But in India, they're not going to be concentrating too much on what England did. They're going to be wondering what went wrong for the home team. And as good as England were, India were poor. There are questions to be asked. And some of the answers might be difficult to stomach. Uh, what did you make of, of their performance? Well, it wasn't great, was it? There are issues, definitely. I uh, was certainly worried when Pajara went and got another big knock in the first innings. It was, you know, it, it does happen when you just think in a series some players just aren't going to get out. But certainly, you know, there are definitely, you know, Tendulkar looks on uneasy ground, doesn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, I think ordinarily, right, if, I, if, if you were just to look at this series in isolation, what I would say is don't overreact, you know, don't call for sweeping changes because it's just one game. But the thing is, it's not really just one game because, to a certain extent, it's not this that is the blip. It's Ahmedabad that was the blip because this team has been in decline for a while now. I mean, they had eight consecutive defeats away from home and I don't think you can chalk that kind of run up to bad luck or anything like that. You know, There, there are serious problems within that team. I think they were just kind of masked a little bit by Ahmedabad. And already this is a disappointing series for them because only a whitewash would have been good enough. That's the only thing that would have been good enough for the supporters that want to avenge what happened in England. And a series defeat would be catastrophic. So India do need to think about changes because they cannot afford to lose another game. Uh, the selectors need to have quite a few conversations about their bowling attack. There's no argument that Panazar and Swan outbowled the Indian spinners. What do you think is going on with Ravi Ashwin? You know, people looked at him as a, a sort of mystery spinner that was going to do to England what Ajmal did to England. But they've handled him astoundingly easily so far. I, I think he went something like 95 overs with only two wickets, one of which was Graham Swan reverse sweeping. They really missed Umesh Yadav in this game as well. He sort of provides something different to the rest of their bowlers and, and, and really troubled England in Ahmedabad. He's out of the third test as well. So they need to think about whether they want to stick with Harbhajan as a third spinner because he, he didn't really... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, offer anything in Mumbai. If England's spinners are going to be this much better than India's, that's a huge problem because that is India's main weapon. That's how they assumed they were going to win the series. Obviously, a lot depends on how England's batsmen fare, whether they continue to play them as easily as they did in Mumbai, whether they go back to Emirates form. But they probably need to think about what kind of pitches they're going to prepare for the remaining two games. But if the bowling is a headache, then the batting is a full-blown migraine. You know, Dhoni and Fletcher must be necking aspirin like they're smarties. There was, there's kind of a half attempt to portray what happened in India's second innings as England ripping through an inexperienced Indian lineup. And there are some inexperienced guys there, but generally speaking, they're not the ones that are failing. It's the senior players that are having the most problems. Sevag, Dhoni, Yuvraj, and of course, Tendulkar. If you were an Indian selector, do you think you'd have the courage to tell him that his time might be up? Do you think you'd be able to give him his P45 and say, thanks very much, Sachin, but we've got to move on? Thanks for coming, yeah. Uh... Thanks for nothing. (laughs) Yeah, cheers, mate. I think it would be unceremonious to dump him midway through a series but then again if say you know if he was to play through the whole series didn't get many runs there's a temptation to think well you know next up we've got this this team uh he's got a bit of time to prepare let's give him another go so you know, maybe you need to cut and run you know while there is a bit of kind of a bit of feeling your way if you're a selector and you want to see the back of him obviously they're you know they're, they're probably quite fond of him <laughs> but uh he's not banged a hundred it took him so long to get that Hundredth hundred, uh, and he's not got one since, or for a long time before that in Test cricket, has he? So, well, yeah, it's it's getting on for two years since his last hundred in, in Test cricket. I think it was the second of January twenty eleven against South Africa. Um, that's a long time ago, and it's not like he's been getting loads of eighties and nineties since then. Uh, I think this year, if you take out the Sydney Test, which was the first Test match of the year where he did get a fifty, he's averaging fifteen in twenty twelve. Uh, which for, for your number four is, batsman yeah. is well for any batsman is not good enough but for number four you know you can't afford to be carrying someone like that in the middle order obviously he's Sachin Tendulkar and it would seem very harsh to dump him um, but then you know dumpings often do seem quite harsh I don't have a chip on my shoulder Tone. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about he personally is going to want to play on isn't he because he wants to go out on a high. He doesn't want to go out like this. And he, he's obviously so talented that it's far from impossible that he could pull one last hurrah out of the hat. But watching him bat in this series, it, it doesn't look inevitable that he's going to do that. His confidence has gone and the aura has gone with it. And, you know, at some point, India are going to have to come to a decision that they can't afford to carry him anymore. What about the captain himself? Is, is he also under pressure? His form has dropped off with the bat. I think in, in nine tests against England and Australia in the last 18 months, which have obviously been the ones that they've really struggled in. He's averaging 24, and his glove work has been atrocious in this series. He's obviously the man who led India to a World Cup victory and oversaw their rise to number one. 
but things have gone badly wrong since then, there's a sense building in the media that he's under the microscope. And I think that if I was the Indian sector, I'd, you know, you've got to give them at least another match, I think. Uh, yes, it went badly wrong here, but as badly wrong as it went here, it went badly right uh, in the first test, didn't it? Yeah, they will look at it as, well, we just got it wrong here. As I say, I think I think that's too simplistic a view because of things that have happened in the last 18 months. But they'll hope that they can pitch up in Kolkata and just turn it around as dramatically as England did between Ahmedabad and Mumbai. And obviously, they do have some things to hang their hat on. Pajara played another fantastic innings. Gambia looked like he might be coming back into form a little bit. You feel that Virat Kohli's got a big innings up his sleeve. And England also, as we say, they have some problems. Broad, Trot's not getting any runs. Samit Patel's yet to really justify his place in the side. So India are by no means out of this series. It's still 1-1. They could go on to win 3-1. They could easily do that. But as I say, even one test defeat means that this series is to an extent already a disappointment so inevitably these sorts of questions are going to be asked can't wait now for the third test to be honest i think you remember my prediction at the start of the series adam what did you go for two, two all. all yeah happy with that at the moment i think i said that you know it would be uh the results would be one-sided and it'd be uh it'd be a bit of two and a three series so I don't know if I said it in exactly those <laughs> yeah. words. I think I said that England would get beaten by nine <laughs> wickets in Ahmedabad uh, with a Pajara double century. I was thinking about this afternoon. I was thinking back to my prediction this afternoon. And it occurred to me... Daydreaming. <laughs> it occurred to me, you know, I've got, I do kind of fall into a trap. Uh, I've got a mentality that if I make a prediction and it starts to look like it's going in the right direction, for me, that's as good as it being right at the end. It's kind of like the fantasy league. As long as I've had, certainly, you know, had any point in it, I feel like that's good enough. There's a, there's a feature now on uh, Betfair that you don't use Betfair, do you? There's a feature on Betfair, a cash-out feature. So, uh, you know, Betfair is a betting exchange, so the money that's backed uh, for a result is is matched by people betting against that result. So uh, you can effectively, you can back a result, and if, if it kind of looks like it's going that way and the prices come down, you bet against it, uh, uh, and you can guarantee profit whichever way the result goes in the end. So if the bet is going your way, you, you can, can ca- cash out. And there's an automated feature now where you just cash out. So you wouldn't get the full amount that you'd win if it if you stuck with it. But you sort of think, well, it's going my way now. I'll cut my losses and, and take my money now. Well, yeah, not cut your losses. Right. But yeah, go, go, I'll, cut my winnings. I'll quit when I'm ahead. Exactly. Money. Which is kind of how I think about predictions now. That's in my mind. If only there was a cash out feature for predictions. Because <laughs> I'd be cashing out right now. So you've predicted two all, but do you think it could even go better than that for England? Do you think they can do it? Can they pull off the unthinkable and, and win this series? There are two games to go. There's a lot of cricket left to be played, but they're going to be on a real high in that England camp at the moment. But does that matter? I mean, there's more than a week before the third test, time for India to regroup. How do you see the rest of the series panning out? We know we know about momentum. The momentum meter is all the way to the uh, England side, isn't it, at the moment? But it can swing in one ball. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for commentators, you like to kind of pile on momentum as a, as a kind of viable factor. Uh, it only takes like one delivery or one drop catch. So, yes, I think they can go on and win it. But equally, they could go and lose quite heavily again. Yep. So It's great insight once again, isn't it? Around the world now, on this part of the show, we talk about things that have been happening around the world. Let's cross over to Australia, shall we? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Hey, go down to Australia, little holiday. We could uh, we could have a barbie. Am I right, Tane? Throw a shark on the barbie. Play oh, some didgeridoos. Lord. What else can we reduce Australia to? Uh, 
koalas. We could go and cork cu- hats. We Get could cork hats out. We could go and cuddle some koalas in our cork hats. Oh, I'd love that to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Well, yes. In Australia this week, uh, there was a quite extraordinary test match in Adelaide. Australia won the toss and batted first, and they racked up an astonishing 482 for five on the first day. Michael Clark with his fourth double century of the year. Um, centuries also for David Warner and Mike Hussey. Eventually, they were dismissed for 550. When South Africa were 233 for two, it looked like uh, the game was just going to meander into a draw. Uh, but then it really came alive. Uh, eventually, South Africa were all out for 388 after wickets for Ben Hilfenhaus and Nathan Lyon. Australia declared on 267 for eight to set South Africa 430 to win. They got off to a very poor start. They were 45 for four. Uh, but then a, a hell of a lot of blocking from A.B. de Villiers, who made 33 from 220 balls, a strike rate of 15. Jacques Callis with 46 from 110 balls. And Faf Duplessis on debut with an unbeaten 110 from 376 balls to save the test on the final day. They ended up 248 for eight to frustrate Australia and keep the series scoreline at nil-nil. As I say, this was an absolutely extraordinary test match. When you saw the scorecard from the first day, it was pretty hard to believe. I thought there'd been a misprint. I really did. 4-8-2 for 5. But the conditions were ridiculously good for batting. The pitch was flatter than the atmosphere at one of your stand-up comedy gigs. And it was basically an under-11s boundary. Adelaide is just a construction site at the moment. Uh, and the boundary was really short. David Warner hit some 60-metre sixes, uh, which is absurd. So, yeah, it, it looked like a batting paradise. And after two days, it did appear that it was going to end in a, a very dull draw. Uh, but it was anything but such a tense final day. We got a tweet from Stephen saying, never thought a run rate of one could cause so much tension. It was really remarkable. It was just an unbelievable yeah. final day. It was a, a classic thrilling draw, almost unbeatable. I mean, it, it, there's been some great draws uh, in the last kind of two to five to six years. You can't really beat it in a way. There's something uniquely exciting about it, isn't there? There's something unique as well to cricket where uh, because every ball is an event, there are so many opportunities for, for something to turn, you know, for the match to turn on its head. And there are so many times, particularly like this, uh, we were laughing about it earlier, when Siddle took the eighth wicket in that, that final innings. The Aussies went mental. The commentator, <laughs> or was it Slater, went, I can't, you, I'll leave you to do the impression, but he went mental. What a hero! He's done it for you. He's done it for his country. country. Yeah. And then, you know, you contrast that with uh, when like play was called, like time was called. Just the flat shaky of hands. There are, I can't think of another sport where you know you can be almost so certain of victory uh, and then have to have to just accept the draw. Not, yeah, not in quite the same way. It's the it's... roller coaster of emotions and also the way that in cricket, yeah, the build up of tension as the bowlers running into bowl. Like if you're a South African fan watching that, because every ball that's bowled at Dale Stain or Morning Morkel could very possibly get them out. Like as Peter Siddle's running into bowl, just tension ratchets up and ratchets up and then it's blocked release of tension and then you're you're sort of you feel this relief for like 20 seconds and then he's running in again and you're like oh god yeah i forgot it was going to happen again they're the most exciting passages i think possibly in cricket are uh, yeah are when it looks like a wicket could fall with every ball that's golden test cricket isn't it non-cricket fans sometimes find it a ridiculous thing about cricket that you can play for five days and it ends in a draw but when it's a draw like that I mean, it's it's more exciting than 99% of test wins. It was just brilliant to watch. 
Uh, and what a rear guard it was from South Africa at 148 overs. It's number 10 on the list of longest successful fourth innings rear guards. More overs than England in Cape Town in 2009, uh, which was in itself unbelievably memorable. Is that kind of thing the sign of a number one team? I mean, South Africa haven't um, managed to engineer any winning positions yet in this series. Um, people beginning to question whether they deserve this number one status that they so recently acquired. But is a performance like this just keeping Australia at bay when all hope seemed lost? Does it underline their status as the number one team? Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah, doesn't do anything to kind of harm it, does it? Yeah, I mean, some of those uh, some of those stats that you were reading out before, you know, from the scorecard, the strike rates, the the, the discipline to just to kind of just block out and well, Duplessis aside, who actually went on and got a score albeit a very slow one well he got a score but it was a straight rate of 29 yeah. it was very slow well that was twice as quick as de Villiers was going though so <laughs> that's true Nathan Lyon bowled 50 overs for 49 runs which if my mathematics is right is less than one run per over <laughs> in 50 overs it's astonishing 31 maidens in that yeah you mentioned Duplessis I mean what a remarkable test debut I can't say that from what I'd seen of him before in limited overs cricket I was convinced that he was going to make for a test match cricketer but you know we talk about hyperbole but this has to go down as one of the greatest test debuts he could have even taught Paul Collingwood a thing or two about blocking in that second innings I mean it was just ridiculous the way that he he kept them out there life was made a bit easier for him because Australia lost James Pattinson to injury so they did only have three proper frontline bowlers going at them on the final day which does make a difference I think they they probably would have won the game if Pattinson had been fit Um, but he wasn't South Africa will undoubtedly have some big concerns because, as I say, they've not yet managed to create anything close to a winning position in this series, which is a worry. Imran Tahir was left out in Brisbane, came into this game and was just cannon fodder. He went at 7.57 runs per over on the first day in 21 overs. Um, they've also got injury concerns, an injury to Vernon Philander on the morning of the match. And then Callis uh, went down with an injury early on in the game. They've got a problem in their middle order, particularly around Jacques Rudolph. But despite all of that, they are still in this series. Australia have played, I think, by far the better cricket. But as the teams head west to Perth for the uh, for the denouement, it's still nil-nil. Do you think South Africa will make the Aussies pay for not taking those final two wickets? Will they still go on to win this series? It's possible. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> it's possible. I, I, I don't think I could pick a winner. The way things have been going, you know, another, a third draw is is entirely possible. I think also <laughs> all three results, I would say, are possible. What about a tie? Day. The fourth result? Uh, tie, possible, <laughs> but probably more unlikely, I'd say. Oh, it's been another great, you know, another great test series between the two sides. And, and also another occasion when, you know, two very, very, very entertaining test matches going on at the same time. Test match cricket in rude health, eh, Adam? Around the world. <laughs> Apart from the crowds. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Recurring stories out there in sports, you know, technology in football that comes up every time there's a close goal line decision that doesn't go the correct way. There's a flurry, you know, a week or two, a flurry of, of uh, articles and, and people kind of people like us chatting about why there should be. And in cricket, any time there's a good test match, you'll guaranteed get like a slew of articles about how test cricket's the ultimate form, isn't it? It's about three times a year, more. Well, it happens as many times as there are great test matches, which is probably more than three times a year. I mean, there have been some astonishing test matches in the last 12 to 18 months. Last winter was ridiculous. Almost every single game was unbelievable. And yet the crowd still, <laughs> yeah, the still crowd. stay away, <laughs> uh, which there's, is there's just somewhat worrying. Can't get into it. it. 
Much like Mervyn King's tenure as governor of the Bank of England, this episode of the World Cricket Show has reached the end of the road. <laughs> so anyone who leaves their post during the week, you can use that. I know, it was great. I saw the news. I was like, brilliant. That is fantastic. <laughs> Rip that out. That's a fantastic gag for the show. Although, of course, Mervyn King is staying on as governor of the Bank of England until, what, July? So a while to go. I'm hoping this episode won't go on until July. Uh, because I'm not sure I've brought enough snacks for that. I've certainly, I'm certainly too tired to think about that kind of endurance. Well, I brought my sleeping bag. We haven't had time to talk about the other test series that are going on around the world, but very briefly, uh, West Indies wrapped up a, a reasonably efficient 2-0 win over Bangladesh uh, with victory in Kulma. Marlon Samuels scored the fourth double hundred in an astonishing week of test cricket, uh, and Shivnarayan Chandapal ground his way inevitably to an unbeaten 150. Uh, and then Tino Best took six wickets in the second innings uh, to skittle Bangladesh and seal the win. So a series victory uh, for the West Indies. Nothing spectacular from them, but then it was never really going to be, was it, against Bangladesh. But they did what they had to do. Bigger challenges await for them. Uh, we've also got the second test of the series between Sri Lanka and New Zealand going on in Colombo. And after New Zealand were hammered in Gaul, uh, which I talked about, as you probably won't remember, Tane, because you weren't there, last week but New Zealand doing much better in Colombo at the end of day three Sri Lanka trailed by 187 runs with only four wickets remaining in the first innings so there is a chance that the Kiwis could claim a win and level the series up at one all which would be a tremendous achievement anyway we will talk about that game uh, and that series much more on next week's show and that's it for tonight have you enjoyed yourself Tone down here at the studio I've done my best to given the circumstances how's the tiredness (laughs) No, it's not too bad, Adam. I think I've—I think you'll agree. I've maintained energy levels quite well. <laughs> you impressed? You've managed to to keep up the energy. I don't know about the sort of the quality of your output um, in terms of what high. you said. I, I don't know whether it's been even meeting your low standards. Um, if you think it's been high? Tweet me. Just saying hi <laughs> uh, at Tony Cover T O N Y C V R R. And we'll see how many people think that's the case. I want you to promise now that you'll retweet every single one of those that you get and then we'll see on your page exactly how yeah. many listeners have tweeted you saying that you had a high output. Are you excited about Christmas time? Are you getting into the Christmas spirit? Uh, not as yet. No? <laughs> no, I'll try to at some point though. Well, it's December on Saturday. I know. What's to think about? Did you see about that town in Kent? This was a story over the weekend. This town in Kent that turned on their Christmas lights. Uh, <laughs> and they were booed by, <laughs> by the townspeople because they were so bad. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> like, that's really good. Like there was about, yeah, was about 25 oh, people yeah, there. The townspeople. Boo! But do you, know, do you know who they got? Which celebrities they got to come down and turn the Christmas lights on? Because this kind of gives you an indication of how bad these lights are going to be. The two celebrities that they got down to turn the lights on were Toya Wilcox and Gareth Gates. Oh, no. Oh, no. I wonder how I wonder how long the pause was between the, the actual lights going on and the booze starting. Was there kind of a moment of a... Oh, <laughs> and then they're kind of booing. Of course, the booze. Presumably, they didn't just boo. No, I just it was like an instant emotional reaction to what they were seeing. Total silence, and then just, like, <laughs> just a few. These suck. From yeah. the back. We haven't switched lights on here, have we? I'm not. Not. Uh, not with you. <laughs> I don't think we'll be doing it. I'm surprised that they haven't asked me and you to to, to turn on the lights yet. It's a bit of a snub, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be Santa, though, aren't you? <laughs> no. Well, yeah. Advent starts on Saturday. I just wanted to uh, inform listeners. 
about the World Cricket Show advent calendar. Is it going to be better than last year? Back by popular demand <laughs> slash radio silence. Uh, the World Cricket Show advent calendar is going to be starting again. We did this last year and people went mad for it. They went absolutely bananas, didn't they? Basically, I'm going to be posting a YouTube video every day. Not like a YouTube video of me, <laughs> like just reading, doing gags. It's not going to be that. Uh, it's going to be like videos of cricket that I find on YouTube. I mean, people could do this for themselves, can't they? And of course regularly they do, I'm sure. People could do all of this for themselves. People could people could think of all the points <laughs> that we say for themselves if they wanted to. They, they actually could, couldn't they? But it's just a lot they less effort to, for them yeah. if we tell them what to think. We're like the ready meals of cricket punditry. <laughs> in many ways, yeah. yeah. 40 minutes in the oven. Pre-baked cricket no, opinions. If, if anything, we're microwavable. Yeah, well, anyway, I'm going to be posting uh, a new video every day and, uh, you know, hopefully... We'll find some gems. What is a challenge for you? This is a real challenge for you. I want you to only post videos that have had fewer than a thousand views on YouTube. No, definitely not. Why? Because because <laughs> it's basically impossible. No, it's not. Because you're quadrupling my workload if you, if you, if you put that stipulation in Yeah, but what I know what you'll do is you'll just go to YouTube, you'll type in cricket, and you'll just post the first, <laughs> the first like, 24 or 25 that, that comes up. Interesting, actually. I've never done that. If you type cricket into YouTube, uh, the first video that's returned is Best of Brett Lee Retires from International Cricket, a tribute. I'm just going to do that now. Number two is Cricket's Greatest Fight, Javad Miandad versus Dennis Lilly. Here you go. Look, the third video is new. It's got less than a thousand views, eight hundred fifty-two. So maybe this could be uh, day one. Who's at the cricket in Adelaide? It's always an entertaining day at the cricket, and you know you never know who you're going to run into or who might turn up. This isn't me doing an Australian <laughs> accent. This is an actual Australian person. This is quite boring, isn't it? It seems to be the most popular videos on YouTube about cricket are all fights. Yusuf and uh, Ifan Patan fights during the match. Afridi versus Goon Gambir. I'm so I'm getting Goon Gambir. Gambir. You're an idiot. <laughs> You're such an idiot. You're reading his name there, isn't huh? it? Are you not reading yeah. his name? I always call him Goon, though. I think it's a better name for him. You're such a moron all yeah. the time. Well, anyway, I'm going to be posting a different video every day throughout Advent. What an exciting period we've got coming up, Tane. What with all the test cricket in December, the final two tests uh, of England series in India, the last test of Australia's series against South Africa, and then more test cricket in Australia. Uh, we've got our Christmas special to look forward to, haven't we? And, of course, our review of the year. It's all incredibly exciting. Perhaps listeners could take this opportunity to do us a favour and tell some people about the World Cricket Show. We're really going to be uh, doing a bit of a, a marketing push over the next few weeks. We've actually designed some posters. I'm going out to some of the cricket clubs in Guernsey tomorrow. You know, November, December is probably the best time of year to really get some, to get some posters into when cricket clubs. all the clubs. cricket clubs are full of people. <laughs> it's only taken us four years, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're finally going to try and actually promote this thing. In Guernsey, that is. In Guernsey. Well, here's an idea for you. We're going to be pumping the podcast to the 60,000 people of Guernsey, the huge market that we've got here available us to exploit commercially. Uh, but what would be really great is if you sent us your email address or just sent us an email, because that would give us your address, you know. <laughs> Don't send us an email with your email address. <laughs> yeah. Send us a stamp, you know, self-addressed email. Yeah, and we'll send you, we'll send you the PDF of the poster. It's exciting. 
You can print it off. You can put it up in your local cricket club, uni, or at your office, uh, or you know, uni student union office. You know, there's nothing people like more in the office than posters. Uh, put it up in your bedroom if you want. If you've got places, a lot of through, like throughput in your bedroom, if that's the right word. If you've got a lot of day games. There's a lot of footfall in your bedroom, yeah. Get a poster up. Put it up on your family notice board. Attach it to your family newsletter. Christmas family newsletter, kind of towards the end. Slip it in. I like your ambition, Tane. I do like this ambition. It's, it's asking our listeners to do some work. Not that much work, mate. Just get a poster, print it off, put it up. I'd do it for them. If you want us, if you've got a poster that you want us to put up in Guernsey, uh, send it across and we'll put it up. That's a everywhere. good deal, actually. That's, That's a, a good, good deal. deal. Wherever the poster is, even if it's something totally irrelevant yeah. to the people of Guernsey, we'll put it we'll up. Put it up. Email us your posters and we'll send you one back. Um, other things that you might <laughs> there is a be able to do for us: tasks. Uh, write a review on iTunes. Uh, that is something that really, really helps us out. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cricket show. Follow us on Twitter. It's all happening on Twitter. Uh, twitter.com slash cricket show and Tony's already given out his Twitter handle at Tony Cover T-O-N-Y-C-V tweet at Tony Cover hi or just rate my output hi that is H-I-G-H yeah or you can just say hi as well and I'll take it you know either either spelling is good for me send us an email worldcricketshow at gmail.com uh, send us an email with your email address <laughs> or just in general if you just want to have, have a chat you know we'll chat back uh, and the other thing is, of course, if you go to www.cricketshow.net, you can buy a World Cricket Show t-shirt for just £15, including shipping to anywhere in the world. That's about $25 US and about the same figure in Australian dollars. Anyway, that's about it for this week. Stay in school, guys and gals. Uh, we will see you next time with more cricket chat on the World Cricket Show. Bye-bye for now. Yeah. Yeah, it happens to us all. It happens to us all. Each day, each year, yeah, yeah. And I can smell your fear. Super Nick, super, super Nick, super, That'll super wake up Nick, the rest of the house. super Nicky Compton, super. <laughs> yeah, well, perhaps we'll go and try and muscle in on the, the, the lines getting switched on. So I'm just going to drop my pen. This is now we'll be wondering why I've got a pen, what, like what I've been writing. <laughs> what have you been Just writing? been taking notes. Just been Doodling. Doing your, uh, doing your appraisal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how have I come out? Uh, interesting. Well, we'll have to meet about it tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I've got a few issues that I want to raise <laughs> in my appraisal. Um, right, we should probably talk yeah, quicker, though, so we're going to get out of here. Cool. I <laughs> 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 started then. Can't wait for right. that. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.